Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. These are the teachings from our Sunday gatherings. We are supported by listeners like you who find value in the mission of discipleship. If you'd like to give financially, check out our website, our Instagram, our Facebook for the giving tab. And thank you for partnering with us and keeping the mission alive. Grace and peace to you. Uh, So what we're going to do right now in between books is we're going to take some time to talk about our core values. So who we are as a church. And Carissa brought this up. I loved it. She's like, what are we going to call it? And I was like, I don't know. And so she's like, what about Whole Foods logo turned into Whole Faith? Because this is wholly who we are, right? And I think they have some kind of logo. It's like 365. Have you guys seen that? Anybody shop Whole Foods? I don't. But okay. But they have some like 365 thing. And I was like, oh, all these like cheesy things that we could weave in. I'm doing it. So I made this last night. It, it took me. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Right. It took me all of like two minutes with uh, whatever app I use there to like start cutting and pasting. And you can tell the faith font isn't quite the same, but it's as close as I could get it. <laughs> um, I was like, oh, I feel like one of those like cheesy 90s pastors with their like, I don't know, some kind of sermon connection to some cultural issue. Um, but no, it's fun. I think it's awesome because um, it really captures really what we're going to talk about for the next like six weeks. So we're going to talk about our upward focus. They're in the hallway there. We have them as you walk out every week. You guys probably just walk by and you're like, oh, that's a cool like picture. Um, but it's these three postures that we focus on. And the posture is this upward posture, looking towards God, looking as, at him, looking at Jesus as the center of everything that we do. Um, and then we look inward. So we look inward and we reflect on our own lives and how we are being transformed in our heart in our mind, in our soul, everything being completely renovated, made new, uh, a heart of stone turned soft, right? And then looking outward and saying, it's not just about me, it's about me being transformed in order to serve the community, in order to serve others, to bring others to this beautiful message and promise of what God does. And so we're going to look at the upward posture today. Um, I titled it, I Am Not God, and you'll find out why in a second. Um, and it's, it's kind of harsh. It's, it gets a little intense. So I'm just going to warn you guys. Um, when we talk about this upward posture, it doesn't, it doesn't mesh with our, our, um, our desire to thrive and what our world has taught us what thriving looks like. So I'm just going to warn you, okay? It's going to get a little heavy for a second. Um, but, uh, but it's good. It's for a good reason, all right? Um, but so this upward posture, really, it's just summed up by saying, like, I am not God. God is God. I'm going to obey him. I'm going to abide. We talked about that last week, the abiding and the abounding. Um, So I'm going to echo that a little bit. But recognize that I am not God, but he is God. And where we get this idea from um, is when we we look at Jesus' life and how he walked with his disciples and how he taught them, um, we begin to see that everything that he desired from them was summed up in follow me, right? He didn't say go to church on Sunday. He didn't say read your Bible. He didn't say any, he didn't give like a prescriptive list of all these things to do. He said, follow me. Abide in what I'm doing. Like watch how I live life. Begin to learn what that looks like. Begin to really center on that. And you'll begin to see what it does to transform life. You'll begin to see the kingdom of God at work. And so this posture of like looking to Jesus, looking to God as the sole source of our life is so key. And what Jesus does in the very last thing that he does is he sat with his disciples in the upper room 
as he had communion. He took a cup, he took some bread, and he broke it. And we're going to read this passage from 1 Corinthians 11 that, that kind of sums it up beautifully and where Paul talks about it. And this passage that we read right now is in the middle of Paul basically calling out the early church for misusing communion, for misunderstanding what communion was about. And so what he does here is he goes, we're going to go back to remembering what it's about. And so here's what he says. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Right? That's a key line right there. That recognize that he said, my body is for you. It was designed for you to experience life to the full. Like I, I've, showed you, I've shown you how to live, how to interact with other people, how to view yourself, how to have an identity that is wrapped up in completely in Jesus. And he says, it's for you. Do this in remembrance of me, right? He says, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you think, whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He's like, you're reminding yourself. He says, remember twice there, right? Remembering what I've done. And he talks about it being the new covenant. This new covenant, you can sum it up. You can really get theological and dig into it. But the new covenant, he says, is love God with everything you have and love others. And some even say that he adds in love your brothers like you love yourself, right? So love others as you, love, as you uh, treat others as you want to be treated. But then he also says, by the way that you love one another, you'll be known as my disciples, right? And so he adds in, this is like the new covenant where he says it's like it's centering around loving God and loving others. And so this idea of remembering, I want to kind of break this open a little bit because I think that that is the key part of how we engage when it comes to looking upward and looking completely at Jesus as the center of our life um, because I think we forget. So I think Jesus used this remembering idea, this concept of remembering, because we so quickly forget, right? I am so super forgetful, and we're going to talk about that in a second. Throw myself under the bus, but um, we forget really quickly because we get consumed with me. Like, I need to survive, I need to take care of my life, I need to take care of my family, my kids, whatever. And so, life gets very inward focused, right? And so, our vision goes from looking up at God and going, Wow, I'm in awe of what you're doing, to going, Oh, I need to take care of this so quickly. And what Jesus does is He says, Take this and remember, be reminded of what I've done and what I'm doing in and through you. And so this term remember, basically, um, it's, it's a concept that um, when you talk about it in the Greek, it's called anamnesis, which literally translated means to bring the past into the current reality. So bringing the past of what Jesus did and what he taught into the current reality of where you are sitting right now. What does that mean? The past reality of who Jesus was and what he was doing was transformation, right? So when the disciples are sitting there listening and they're like, okay, yeah, so we need to remember and we're going to take this bread to remind ourselves, what are we reminding ourselves of? 
they reminded themselves of the miracles, the healings, right? Picture the, the, the Jesus that the disciples watched as they sat with him and they were like, okay, he said to love one another. That's new. That's a new concept, right? Like the Pharisees and all the leaders, they were like about come to the temple and bring offerings and do everything to bow down to us. Jesus comes and says, love one another, take care of one another. He watched how he went and healed people, how people flocked to him for healing, how he set people free from demons, right? Like imagine those interactions where they're observing and going, Jesus transformed people's lives, like completely turned them upside down in a good way. And he's like, remember that. Remember what I did. Remember what I taught. Remember all these brilliant things how I love people unconditionally, right? Jesus went and touched people that nobody would touch. He went and hung out with lepers. He hung out with what the Pharisees would say, sinners, the outcasts, the people that nobody else would hang out in society. The disciples watched him do that. And he says, when you take this cup, when you take this bread, remember, bring back to reality what took place, what you observed in what I was doing, right? Like bring this back into who you are now. And go, okay, so 2,000 years later, we get to engage in that same Holy Spirit that says, I want to heal. I want to transform. I want to bring new life. I'm going to do that here and now. So remember it. The word remember occurs 250 times in Scripture. That's a lot. There's a lot in the Old Testament where God is like, I remember my people, right? People forgot about God, but God continually says, I remember you. When they're in captivity, right? They're in Babylon, They're like, is God ever going to show up? And God's like, no, I remember you. But you've forgotten me because you continually chase after other gods and get after other things and get distracted and you forget, right? We all forget. We forget really quickly, especially when times are tough. And so this definition of remembering, the, the real definition when you look it up, it says have in or be able to bring to one's mind an awareness of someone, Jesus, or something that one has seen, known, or experienced in the past. It's bringing back this person, the thing, the event, the experience, bringing it back from the past to now and going, okay, Jesus did crazy stuff. Now we somehow feel disconnected because it's 2,000 years, right? And we're like, that's a long time ago. That's like ancient history. It's not. What Jesus promised was that there would be the Holy Spirit that would continue to transform. And when you look over history, when you begin to look at how God interacted with his people and used people for beautiful things, we begin to see, okay, those, those are people that remembered. They remembered what Jesus is doing and lived into it. A great example is, um, so when I, when I looked up this, this definition, it, get, you know, it always gives you like a sentence that says like, This is how the word is used in a sentence, right? And so I transformed that sentence. I think it's up there. And it says, um, I remember the look on the rich man's face when Jesus asked him to sell everything and follow. Picture the disciples watching the rich man's face. I'm going to read the story in case this is not familiar to you. But imagine the look that that rich man had when Jesus told him to follow him. Do you remember what that look is? Maybe you don't. Let's read the passage, and then we'll remind ourselves, okay? So watch what happens. This is brilliant. It's beautiful, and it's also heartbreaking and sad, but I think we have a lot to learn. 
Starts out in verse 20. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. That's a key ingredient. Like, this guy comes to Jesus. He's like, what do I need to do really eternal, to have eternal life, to really experience this, like, kingdom kind of life that you're talking about? Jesus says, follow me, right? Like, come after me. And you know, keep the commandments. And he says, I've done all that. I've kept all the rules. I checked all the boxes ever since I was a little boy. I've done that. Jesus looked at him, loved him. It's like, that's good. Like, I love you. There's more. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Sounds heavy, right? Sell everything you have. And the title of this passage, when we get to see it, is like, he's, he's definitely wealthy. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around, said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? And it goes on, it says, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. With man, it's impossible to think that God will provide, even if you have to give up all your riches. That seems insane to us today, right? Like, we would all agree. Give away all your riches, like, it seems crazy. But he says, with man, this is impossible. With our idea, those of us who forget how powerful God is, it seems impossible, but not with God. He says, all things are possible with God. And then Peter spoke up. I don't know if you noticed, I made it in bold. We have left everything to follow you. We're committed. We're totally in on this thing. And he says, truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father, children, fields, for me and the gospel, will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the, and the last first. The upside-down kingdom that he talks about, you're going to flourish, you're going to thrive when you begin to just surrender to what God's doing. When you have an upward vision of like, I'm just going to surrender to God. I want to put all of my eggs in that basket. I want to completely surrender. So when we read this passage, we go, okay, so it's like, is the call like we got to sell everything? We all need to be poor and follow Jesus? It's not prescriptive because Jesus spoke to a lot of other people and didn't tell any of them to sell all their possessions, right? But here's the deal. This is what's crazy. Jesus knew his heart. He knew what he worshiped because the first part of it, he says, the guy was trying to be obedient. He was doing the right things. He was going to church. He was doing the right things, reading his Bible, praying. He's like, I'd kept all those ever since I was a boy. But then he goes on, and he's, Jesus knows the one part that he's distracted in, that he's forgotten about. He's put his trust in his wealth. And he thinks that that is what's going like, to keep him satisfied, happy, content. The passage is not prescriptive. It's not telling us all to sell everything. It's descriptive. It's describing a man's heart. It, that's why his face fell. That's why he was like, oh, that's the one thing I'm not willing to let go of. That's the one thing I can't surrender I'm going to hold on to that like I just can't, you know? And that's why I think, I keep saying it's, it's descriptive, not prescriptive. We all have something different, right? I can find a pinpoint probably in all of us if we sit down and talk about it. Like, there's one thing that you can't touch. 
It's one thing that, like, in my life, you can't change, you can't do anything, because that'll ruin my happiness, my contentment, my everything. And just, please don't take that from me, God. Like, I need that. And God's like, no, like, come follow me. I want to bring life to the full, like some kind of crazy life that you've never experienced before. This trust that is so much bigger than anything else. So we know that this is difficult. We know that this this challenge of following God is difficult and keeping our, our gaze towards him continually is difficult. And that's why I titled it, I Am Not God. And I read um, a a quote from a a book that I plan on reading. It's called Not God. It's a guy who did did some research and basically um, did like an overview on AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, and what that organization looked like when it began, why it began, what the leaders were doing, went through the whole thing. And I thought it was really interesting to begin to dig into that because... um, what it said was this historian that kind of went through the whole process of like just researching uh, AA. Um, he titled his book, Not God, and here's why. He says, because he said that that stands as the most important hurdle an addict, an addicted person must surmount. To acknowledge deep in the soul, not being God. We have to recognize, and this is where I'm like, I warned you guys, it's going to get heavy. We have to recognize that we are not God. I am not in control of everything that exists. No, it says, no mastery or of manipulation and control at which alcoholics excel, right, can overcome the root problem. Rather, the alcoholic must recognize individual helplessness and fall back in the arms of what they call a higher power, right? And... They've done that specifically to make it accessible to everybody, if you're religious or not, Um, recognizing that um, there has to be a recognition that we are not God and that we have to rely on a higher power, that we have to rely on something outside of us in order to thrive. And it says, first of all, we had to quit playing God, concluded the founders of AA, and then allow God himself to play God in the addict's life which involves daily and even a moment-by-moment surrender. And I thought that was really interesting to begin to see that and be a reminder that I think we're all, in some ways, addicted to something. If we're honest and we're really transparent and we're real about it, like, we have all kinds of things. Like, I know that, for me, for many years, surfing was something that I had to have in order to be joyful. And if I didn't get out and go surf, that there would be no joy in my life. And it was contingent on those two things, swell being one of them. Um, and, uh, and, it, and I'm just using that as one example because I know there's many things in my life that, I was, that I'm still like I'm addicted to that I feel like I have to have the same way that this rich man had to have in order to be content, in order to be um, in deep abiding connection with Jesus. And... And it, we, it's just not the reality. And, and, I, and I love this because it's a good reminder that when we begin to look at our lives and we look at what it looks like to deeply surrender our lives to Jesus, we have to at some point confront that fact that we are distracted, we forget, and we get caught up in things that really don't lead to life, that just give us a little hint of life, a little bit of satisfaction, a temporary feeling of like, okay, things are good and we're going to be happy. But it's really, it's just 
all it is is a facade. It's a veneer. It's not something that actually deeply satisfies and brings true life the way that Jesus does. Everything we are taught in life is win at whatever cost possible, right? That's what our culture tells us. Like, climb the ladder, step on people to get to the top if you can, um, be as successful as you can, make as much as you can. Um, And our identity gets so wrapped up in that doing good, becoming successful, which can also be clouded in good motives, right? Of like, I just want to be good. I I want to be good at my job. I want to be good at, you know, like, making money so I can give it to other people, whatever. Like, we can cloud it in really, like, kind of Jesus language, right? Of, like, I want to be good and successful. But really, sometimes that can get wrapped up in really just being selfish and wanting to look good in our own identity and wanting to be um, seen as successful rather than admitting that we need God and we need to surrender life completely to him. It's not easy to do. I want to ask you guys a question. What is the purpose or the value of remembering? There's a plaque at Auschwitz in the concentration camp that reads, the one who does not remember history is bound to live through it again. Right? If we forget, if we repeat the same mistakes, if we continue to go down those roads and continue to abide by the things that don't give life, um, it's not good. Remembering places value on things you find important in order to thrive in life. Remembering, I'll read that again, places value on the things you find important in order to thrive. I find that Jesus is important, but I also find that I forget how important he is, right? And maybe you've been there before, and maybe you do that even throughout the week where you get distracted and get caught up in things and sometimes good, meaningful things, but then we forget that we want to keep Jesus at the center of it. I don't think we do it intentionally. I think we just forget, right? We forget, really, that Jesus is at the center of all of it, and we have continually opportunities to surrender to that. What are ways that you remember things? I should give you, we'll get a little bit of time. I'll give you, give you a minute. Yeah, shout it out. What are, what are things that you would do to remember anything during the week? Repetition. Repetition, yep. Set reminders on my phone. That's what I do. Lots of calendar reminders with a reminder and then a second reminder. <laughs> um, one the day before and one 10 minutes before. Anything else? Yeah. Tell other people, that's a great way to be held accountable, yep, for sure. Do we have any sticky note people in here? Yes. Sticky notes? Okay. Notes? I, so, I hate, I hate, I don't, I don't want to be the pastor that puts his kids on blast all the time, but I'm, this is a really good thing, so don't, like, see this as bad, but, like, Kai writes notes everywhere, and I love it, because she wants to remember certain things so badly that she's like, I'm going to write it on a big piece of paper, I'm going to tape it to the front door, into the fridge, and my door, and everywhere, and I'm like, you can't put notes everywhere, so I'm using her as an example, but, like, she wants to remember stuff, genuinely, and I'm like, you can't use the whole house as your sticky note, like, this isn't happening, you know, like, you can only put them by your bed or on your door and when you leave, you know? Like, um, and she has to share a bathroom with her sister, so she can't throw them all over the mirror, too, you know? Um, 
but she doesn't want to forget because why? Whatever it is has value, right? It has lots of value. And then if it's her homework, she's like, I want to make sure that I don't forget to bring this. And she just doesn't want to get a bad grade. And I think that's awesome. It's beautiful. We need reminders, right? We need those things in our lives to continue to remind us that God is doing something. And sometimes I think our reminders get caught up in the wrong things, right? Reminders are great. We need that. Uh, We need that to do our jobs and and succeed in life. Um, But we need a reminder to continually recognize that God is the source of all of it. Um, I want to share one story um, to close out. Is uh, This week I had a, a really good reminder of this that um, I don't know if you guys know there's a really big swell that hit this week. It's like the 20-year swell, the, like supposedly the biggest waves we've had in 20 years because of all that storm, which wreaked a ton of havoc on our coast. Um, a lot of people, a lot of damage. Um, but when I heard about that, I was like, I want to go surf. Like, I want to surf these big waves. And um, so my mind was like, where can I go where there's the least amount of consequence but still really big waves, and I can go out and just, like, get some big waves with my buddy. And uh, so we decided we're going to go down to San Diego Harbor and launch our little boat and go and catch the big waves that wrap into the harbor. And we're like, this will be brilliant. We get out there, and it's like victory at sea, and it's the biggest waves I've ever seen. And I was like, there's no way we're anchoring our tiny boat anywhere near these waves because we're going to lose the boat, and we're going to lose each other and get lost. And so we ended up um, surfing kind of inside. There's waves that would wrap into the harbor, and it ended up being small waves. And I'm like, come on. But when I left that morning, the purpose of why I'm telling you this is sometimes I question, like, how do I use my surfing or my hobbies and those kind of things to glorify God, right? And so when I left that morning, I was kind of, I was feeling a bit of a tension. Like, should I call it off? Like, should we just not go? It's probably a waste of time. It's probably not the best conditions. Um, Things weren't fully lining up the way that I really wanted. But I was like, when I was driving down the road, I was like, God, give me a reason for why we're doing this today. Like, I'm going to go through this day and help me understand, like, why I'm doing it because I'm kind of, like, on the fence. And give me a purpose. And because I generally try to do that in everything I do, um, but I'm not perfect at it. And so what happened was went through the day with my buddy. We surfed. We had fun. Uh, It wasn't epic, but it was a good adventure. And when I got out to this spot, I ended up surfing with five other people. One of them that I had built a spear gun for this year happened to just be out there, one of the five guys. And I was like, are you Ty? And he was like, yeah. He's like, I had a hood on because it's freezing cold. And he's like, I was like, yeah, it's Nate. And he's like, what? No way. And like, he's just lit up. He's blown, my, blown away. And he's like, hey, man, I've been thinking about like ordering another gun. And we had these, this beautiful conversation about like his life and what's going on. And I was like, God brought me there with those five people randomly, which seemed random to me at the time, for a reason, for a purpose. And I've always thought of like surfing and my spear gun building as a way to connect with people, as a way to use the gifts and talents that God's given me to connect with people in a way that maybe other people can't. Um, It's how I came to know the Lord. Like my shaper, he would pray with me in his shaping room whenever we're talking about surfboards. And he'd be like, hey, what's going on with life? And what do you need prayer for? And he would pray for me. And so I saw how somebody could use their hobbies, their talents, their gifts, their passions to glorify God. And so at the end of the day, I was sitting on the couch and I was like, it was kind of a waste of time. We didn't get to surf massive waves and I didn't get what I expected. But then I thought about it and I was like, I had made a prayer that morning to God to go like, tell me what the reason was. And it was to connect with those two people. And I, saw, I didn't see it until the end of the day because I was so wrapped up in me 
and what I wanted and what I wanted to get out of the day. And then I realized, like, no, it was about connecting with that person. Because now I'm going to have more conversations with this guy, Ty. Um, awesome dude. And so I just I share that as just like one small story of a way that we can use our daily life, um, the things that we go through, to begin to say, God, what are you doing? Like, keep our vision looking upward and saying, what do you want to do through me today? Like, maybe we start every morning that way. And we just say, what, what do you want to, how do you want to use me today at my job? How do you want to use me and my family? And I think the hardest part is we forget at the end of the day to circle back and go, what did God do? And we don't give him credit. Like, I, there's been many, many, many times, that was only one example of a success, successful moment where I recognized what God was doing. Most of the time I go through and just have a pity party about whatever didn't happen, didn't go the way I wanted, Right. But this moment I sat, and it was, I think it was because Katie asked me. She was like, how was your day? Whatever. I went, oh, it was actually really good because I kind of asked God to do something in that, and he did it. He did something amazing that I would have never thought would happen, right? And I would have never expected it. And so I think what God wants from us is just a, a remembering, a continual remembering each day, bringing what was in the past, the beautiful, successful things that God's done and that he wants to do in us, to today, to now, to our lives, to your lives, in the place that he's put you, wherever that's at, to, um, to really transform not just your life, but other people's lives. And my prayer is that I can continue to talk with my buddy Shane and this guy Ty, and, um, and, and I'm just trusting that God will use that in, in awesome ways. And so, um, so just to close out, I want to I read this prayer to us, because I think the posture that Wesley had in this. Um, Wesley was like a, a pastor, theologian, um, amazing, brilliant uh, man of God that just, I think, really understood what it meant to surrender to God. We're going to skip this one. Um, we're going to go to that last part. There you go. Thank you. Um, and it says, I am no longer my own. This is kind of going back to like, I am not God, right? Um, I am not my own, but yours. Put to me what you will, Place me with whom you will. Do you see what might be happening there throughout your day when, you, when we pray this prayer? And I put it in our notes if you want it during the week. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. That's not necessarily a prayer we ask, right? <laughs> put me to like hardship. That's, that's not what we want. Uh, let me be put to work for you or set aside for you. That's hard. Praised for you or criticized for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and fully surrender all things to your glory and service. And now, O wonderful and holy God, creator, redeemer, sustainer, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it also be made in heaven. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's close. Um, just by taking communion and um, just come on up. We're, there's nothing super official or there's no like very uh, I think unique way that you have to take communion other than the fact that we recognize that we are not God. He is God. He is in control and that we're surrendering our lives to Jesus. We're remembering that he is in control. I am not. That's essentially what we're doing when we take communion. So I would invite you just as you feel led, come on up and...
grab one of the wafers um, and just dip in and take it back to your seat. And if you want to eat it on your way back, whatever. Um, But with a posture that says, I want to look to you, God, in all of my life, every area of my life, my career, my family, my relationships, my passions, my hobbies, everything, all of that. I want it to be saturated with Jesus. And I want to remember that he wants to use those things the same way that this prayer echoes for his glory to be completely surrendered to him. So let me pray and then uh, feel free to come on up. And if you don't mind, just closing out with a song and we'll do that. So Lord, thank you so much for this reminder. This reminder in the bread, this reminder in the cup that your body was broken and poured out on the cross to conquer death, to conquer all of the things that destroy us and keep us down in order to bring new life within us. And so we just wanna, we wanna be reminded of that. And so we take this bread and we take this cup and we surrender to you. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen.